0: Welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland. And I'm Amy Keller. Uh, I'm cooking more. Uh, for whatever reason,
1: we're getting a little burned out on eating out. And so I'm looking up recipes. And Good for I mean, you. Have you done that recently? Like just looked up like, so I was looking up like banana bread the other day. And I wanted to make a different kind of banana bread than I've made before. Uh-huh. So I Googled banana bread. And, like, I don't know.
0: I'm really into banana bread. Popped up. It was like 50 pages of banana bread. Yes.
1: And it was like, how do you even choose? It's what hard. Is best?
0: Yes. It is very hard. I find it very challenging myself, also.
1: Yeah. And I know as a dietitian, you know, I try to make recommendations of good websites for my patients to visit, depending on their medical condition and those types of things. And it really got, it felt a little overwhelming even to make those decisions on what websites to recommend. Mm-hmm. So we thought yeah. we would bring on a guest dietitian tonight. Uh, you'll get to meet her here after the intro. She is a hospital dietitian, woohoo! Turn <laughs> food blogger. I'm also a hospital dietitian, so I might be doing this myself. That sounds <laughs> really cool. And her, her job and work she's going to talk about tonight is how food bloggers work in terms of you know what what food blogging is but also you know how you might see different things on food blogs wonder why they're worded the way they are because she's going through this now as she's developing her own blog uh, and developing her own recipes so really excited to have her on tonight and we'll get to it right after the intro
0: All right, so I'm excited to introduce our our guest, but first I do want to kind of go back and think about our previous episode real quick, just as a reminder. We Amy did a an amazing job researching alpha gal, uh, aller, like allergy syndrome, you know, and we were talking about what that means and why, what it's from. It's from a tick bite. And so since it's kind of tick season, we kind of talked about preventing tick bites. And then we learned everything that Amy learned to help work with her client who was thrown at her with this alpha gal syndrome. So
1: go back and listen to that podcast after you've listened to this one. Of course, (laughs) I think it's a really helpful podcast. I think alpha gal syndrome is going to be more prevalent as people recognize it and maybe get tested for it. And it's a really unusual food allergy in just the way it behaves. It yes, It behaves very differently yes. than normal food allergies. So it was really fun to research. It was stumped the dietitian time. <laughs> I, I kind of like I said, I you know, I, I like those challenges mm-hmm. and I know you do too, but yeah. I really like those challenges of kind of researching a condition. This is how I've gotten a celiac disease, honestly.
0: Yeah,
1: of researching the condition and really trying to get myself completely up to speed. So mm-hmm. um, like well, I you said, you, you take a moment when this podcast is over. If you haven't listened to the previous one, we invite you to do that. Yeah. And now we're ready to get started tonight. I'm super excited. Yes.
0: About- yes, me too. Uh, we have Christy Ruth, who is a registered dietitian and a very busy working mom of three kids, ages seven to fifteen. And I know (laughs) without going crazy, Christy has found a way of developing easy and practical nutrition, nutrient dense recipes that kids and parents are going to love. So she started a recipe blog as a way to share her recipes and knowledge to help with busy families that to help them understand what it means to feed their families well. So I love this because I've seen so many recipes posted and, all these bloggers have different bents, but to have a, a, dietitian, a registered dietitian giving this information and these recipes out, I think that's that's so exciting. So welcome, Christy, and I'll let you kind of talk a little bit more about yourself.
2: Okay, thank you for having me. I'll yeah give a little background of how I even got into this because um, I am not tech savvy as a lot of food bloggers <laughs> are, so I thought... Um, Yeah, I'll start from there. So um, I've been working in large teaching hospitals for almost 19 years. Um, And actually, Mm -hmm. my specialty area is critical care nutrition. So I mainly work in the intensive care units with adults, kids, and premature infants. I see all the ages. Um, So I'm not doing one-on-one counseling. You know, I'm in um, the hospital in a totally different area. and But I have my... I'm a mom. I have three kids. Uh, My oldest two are teenagers, actually, 13 and 15. And then I have a seven-year-old who is going into second grade. So I've got the whole age man covered. (laughs) And actually, when my kids were, my oldest was uh, a couple years old. Part of my job is we actually had to... um, twice a year we had to do something in the community as part of our expectations for employment. Hmm. So I took the opportunity um, at our local library and they had offered a mommy, like a mommy and me session with playtime and they asked a different specialist to come in every week. Like one was a speech therapist, one occupational therapist, and I was a dietitian. And it was uh, nothing formal. It was a and a The parents could just come up and ask questions. And that was the first time that it was obvious to me that there are so many questions out there that people have that for us as dietitians are actually pretty basic to answer mm-hmm. um they're not i mean of course there are going to be exceptions but generally speaking they're pretty pretty basic but they're also not to the point where a lot of them are going to go seek a dietitian and meet with them to get these questions clarified they're going to google the answers
0: yes um
2: <laughs> yeah so since then i thought oh my goodness how could i reach out you know how can i do this to get, i don't mm-hmm. see myself in like an office space but there's got to be something and it never really went anywhere for a long time And then over the time with my own experience as my three kids, you know, raising them and I've experienced with only three children, I've experienced one falling off the growth chart. um, One genetically has high cholesterol and triglyceride level. One has developed reflux as an older child. And if I got a picky eater, so I don't have food allergies, but outside of that, oh, and I have two athletes like soccer track. So we go through a lot of food and I feel like I've been through it all. kind of. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So anyway, so like I said, a lot of the questions that, I have been asked or hear people asking about are pretty basic and um like from everything from oh my child all they want to do is snack all day you know they don't they don't want to eat meals or you know do my kids acting like this after they eat I think I should eliminate gluten or something just things that like that you know it's Mm -hmm. pretty common for questions to hand for people to ask and I thought okay again how how can I do this And now, as you guys all know, and you've covered a lot of this in previous podcasts, uh, but there are so many more products coming out now um, and Mm -hmm. different claims on labels and things like that. So um, people are getting ever more confused. um, And I think it's just going to get worse. So welcome (laughs) the dietitians. We're here to save you guys. Um, So about three years ago, I thought, okay, I need to I need to do something. I just didn't know what that was. And because I was working still at the hospital, still am, I didn't want to do anything that required a brick and mortar office space that I was going to have to worry about doing that full time. And, you know, and then this and figuring all that out. So I would need to figure out something else that I didn't need an office space. Um, And then also, I don't know about you guys, but I don't, I typically, I don't talk about that. I'm a dietitian. I don't advertise that really, but I started to do that more because I thought, well, how am I ever going to be able to help anybody if I don't start engaging in dialogue and letting Mm -hmm. people know what I do and, you know, things like that and being available. So it was actually through that, like on the sidelines with parents and um, a few other times mm. within, once I started doing that, within a couple months, a few people said, you need to start a food blog <laughs> and they didn't even know each other. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Are you serious? I don't even follow any food blogs. You know? so, um, so that's kind of how my, was my final nudge to like, okay, enough people have said this. I have to, I don't need an office case. I need to see mm. what this is all about. So I decided to give it a go. And and so that's how I got, yeah, to where to where I am today. And I should add that I am not tech savvy. I do not have a background in photography, which a lot of food bloggers do. Yeah, and a lot of bloggers have such a strong background in that that they use that to get the recipes
0: mm-hmm. to be what
2: show and rank.. And somebody else might even be developing their recipes. There are food bloggers who actually buy recipes to put on their site, and they just know how to get it out there.
0: So I just yeah, and
2: uh, there's, (laughs) there's ghostwriting that happens and I get, I get hiring out photography. I don't, I don't do that, but I get doing that part, but Mm -hmm. so much that I've learned just like put a fire in me even more like, okay, a dietitian has got to win this, (laughs) (laughs) got to beat these people though. But um, anyway, so that, that's kind of how, how, how it all started.
0: Yeah. Where did you land? So tell us you, your blog name and, like, what is kind of the mission or what is it that you're accomplishing with okay, your blog? Yeah, what do you great. feel like you're so, accomplishing with your blog? Yeah.
2: Okay. So my blog name is carrotsandcookies.com. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's, you know, balance. It all fits. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I say it's recipes that appeal to teens and tweens, um, which it does. I, at first, I'm like, well, it's for the whole family, but that's not, you really need to niche down. So th- so that's kind of the aim that I have there. Um, and my mission is pretty simple. I want I want to help parents understand what it means to feed their family well without going crazy, <laughs> that's what I say, <laughs> um, with all of the misinformation out there or accurate information that's being misinterpreted and all of the products out there, it it's just overwhelming for a lot of people Um, and our schedules are busy. So I thought our schedule, my schedule would be busy, would get easier as my kids get older. And I was totally wrong about that. (laughs) So it just gets busier. Um, So I do this by providing recipes that help families do what we often recommend that they do as dietitians, you know, increase their intake of whole grains, increase fruits and vegetables, lean sources of protein, reduce saturated fat, all those things. So, um, you know, there's recipes you might see another blogger say, don't use olive oil. It has a, you know, this kind of taste. I'm like, well, I use it in pretty much everything baking related. So go for it. You know, things like that. Um, And I do my best to um, eliminate unnecessary steps to save time, like not boiling noodles for lasagna but also not buying special lasagna noodles, like just using regular whole wheat noodles. You can put that in a saucy lasagna, it'll cook right up. Yep. (laughs) Um, And oftentimes we're told, you know, separate the dry and wet ingredients. And I mean, if I were a professional baker, a lot of times I would have to do that, but a lot of recipes you really don't have to do that. And so things like that, I feel like I've tried to do for families so they don't have to try to figure out how to do that on their own.
1: (laughs) I love the idea of making it simple for families and I also like the idea of your approach of eliminating that mom guilt. Um, right. You know, I, one of the things that I talk about with clients is fake homemade. Yeah. You know, getting chicken that's already cooked, putting a bag of steam vegetables with it, mm-hmm. and, a, you know, a container of mashed potatoes, and you have a meal. And I love your approach of cutting those steps. And, and I really think there's a lot of pressure, you know, when kids are babies, you get that pressure of, are you making the baby food? Are you, you know, buying organic for your dear child or, you know, all doing all of these things and spending, you know, a million dollars on food. But I also think as we get older, our kids get older, we get that same guilt. Are, are we preparing that balanced meal? Mm -hmm. How often are we taking them out to eat? You know, I think there's a lot of guilt amongst moms, and I think maybe dads too, but I think moms really feel it, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly if the child is in a larger body. Are they doing something wrong? Is it their fault? Uh, You know, I think there's a lot that your approach can be really helpful uh, Mm -hmm. in in talking about this doesn't have to be quite so complicated. So I just love it. I love it.
0: Well, thank you. (laughs) I know that's one of my favorite tips too. I love, I agree. I love all the like shortcuts and I feel like I do that a lot. Like when a recipe tells you to make dressing in a different container and then pour it over, you know, I will make the dressing in the bowl and then... You know, if it's obviously too much, then I'll put it in a storage container. You know, but I try to minimize how many dishes I make and that type of thing where, like you said, it's not really something that a chef would say to you to do (laughs) or some of the recipes tell you to do. They tell you to do it in a separate bowl. But do you really need to do that? So I love those types of tips. Yes. Good. So what is your like? I guess, just to start off, like, what is your best secret or advice for busy families?
2: So this, as far as it relates to cooking, um, I say cooking doesn't have to be so complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you observe, especially with kids, but even adults, if you observe what people order at a restaurant, I like to do this, what are they actually ordering? And really, they're not usually ordering something that's very heavenly seasoned, uh, a big, sick rub on something usually. I know for my kids, they're pretty basic eaters, and if they like flavor, my one son, he loves spice, so he'll douse his food with hot sauce before he even takes a bite of it, so I'm like, well, okay, why am I spending all this time on food that my husband and son are going to douse with hot sauce before they even take a bite, and then my other kids, they just like, you know, garlic, salt, and pepper, like, keep you know, maybe a few herbs, but nothing too fancy. We really don't have to spend extra time and money on things um, yeah. most most of the time, um, and yeah, just to affirm that, just pay attention to what they're ordering at a restaurant when you say, you know, what would you like to eat? And most of the times, you know, what Caesar salad is very popular and <laughs> grilled cheese and I don't know, you know, pasta, some even salmon and things are pretty, um, you know, lemon, mm-hmm. very simple seasoning. And I tell my kids too, you know, a restaurant, they don't have all this time and extra money to spend an hour making a meal. They're throwing it together pretty simply. And so that's kind of the angle I try to take. With that, so yeah, that's my tip. is cooking doesn't have to be so complicated, and keep seasoning simple, and your kids will probably be very happy.
0: Yes, I love that. That's that's yeah, brilliant. We we we're like sometimes we put that pressure of being a foodie on, right? And we're trying to be
2: exactly this
0: foodie, and it's like yeah, the, a lot of times the kids don't. I do have to say, I have one son who I think kind of growing up was more of a foodie. Oh good. (laughs) But that is unusual. I know. Yeah. And some things you
2: could add. I mean, I'm not saying you know, don't ever do this, but if you're in a crunch for time, keep things simple. And my one son that likes hot sauce, he also went through a phase where he loved raw onion and he loved all these other flavors. And those are easy to add where my other kids wouldn't want them. So it's easier to make it without and then you could always add something extra.
0: Right. Right. For sure. All right. So what do you wish every parent should know from your perspective as a dietitian, you know, especially like we were talking about earlier, like even just picking out recipes and things like that?
2: Right. So I'm going to do... I could spend so long on this topic, but I won't. So I have like three just like basic um, points and then I'm gonna get into the whole blogging area with that because I think that's where a lot of the um, interest is going to be. So first, and and you guys already alluded to this already just earlier, um, but body size does not equate health. And I think parents need a reminder of that. And I do Mm -hmm. encourage them to approach feeding their kids and their kids' friends, everybody the same, whether or not, it doesn't matter what size their body is, approach feeding the kids the same. Yes. So I wanted to remind parents of that. And second, a lot of people don't realize this, but most kids who eat a variety of foods um, actually meet or exceed their daily protein needs, Um, but they don't meet typically their daily fiber needs. Um, But the word protein is everywhere now on everything, (laughs) even a high protein product that might not actually be higher in protein than another product. Um, But you see it everywhere. And so I feel like that's become the focus, but just remember that, you know, intake of fruits and vegetables and whole grains, it's just as important as protein intake for more people. Um, And Dawn Holmes that you interviewed, she did a good job covering this in her, even for athletes. It's it's doable. You know, meat um, Mm -hmm. without added so I don't add protein uh, powders to my recipes either and then my third that um, kind of soapbox I guess you could say (laughs) that's not before I get into blogging my last one um, is that buying you know pre-cut foods um, and uh, different convenience things that we've introduced to our lives Mm -hmm. definitely serve a purpose but I think what we don't realize is that it reduces our movement and our energy expenditure um, which it is termed, you know, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. I think, you know, chopping up a pineapple, a watermelon, it gets you on your feet, you're using your hands and your arms, Um, vacuuming, you know, your kids learning how to vacuum, where I know because of busyness, a lot of times um, people are getting more robotic vacuums. Um, And there's a lot of different examples, and not that anything is bad, but I think it's good to be aware that it's, In the end, we're moving less um, and that can impact our health. So while our focus is on food, there are so many aspects as you guys have covered sleep also, you know, sleep, Mm -hmm. movement and food that it all kind of goes together. So because I I feel like that doesn't get a whole lot of attention, I just wanted to throw that in.
0: I love that. I totally. Yeah, I, I don't always focus on that. Uh, Just the thought of, yeah, if you're going to cook a meal, think about it as getting some exercise and some activity. I mean, maybe not exercise, but definitely activity. And we don't focus enough on that lifestyle activity and how important that is to be up and just doing things. And so and then I like what you were kind of saying, too, about maybe bringing the kids into it and having the kids.
1: I I mean, what are your tips? You know, it's hard when. You're a mom, I'm mom, we're all moms, yeah. you know, and sometimes it's just easier to do it myself. Absolutely. So, right? Yeah. So, you know, I know there are like guidelines for what little kids can do at certain ages in the kitchen, but let's say you have your seven-year-old or even your teenagers, what, you know, what are your recommendations for getting them involved in the kitchen?
2: In the kitchen. So that's a really good question. So the main thing for me is to ask them what they want to eat. So the perfect example is the other night, my son who's 13. He had learned a couple weeks ago from somebody else. Um, he was on a fishing trip and he learned how to make French fries from potatoes <laughs> and like from scratch, you know? And so he said, can I make, can you buy potatoes and I will make French fries? I'm like, absolutely. And so he's, you know, so he starts, he's chopping up the potatoes, gets them thinly sliced and, and that he got so excited about that. And in the end, I didn't realize he was planning to fry them, and <laughs> which is fine. I just was like, hey, what are you doing? And um, I thought he was going to bake them. I don't know, which is fine. But it got him excited about it. He was very mm-hmm. proud of it at dinner. So I think part of it is finding what, um, what they enjoy to do, mm-hmm. what they enjoy doing, or the task. So most kids like to cut. So knives, typical kids' knives are not sharp. I mean, you're right, they're not sharp, but I actually overheard a parent recently talking about you can get gloves for them to wear while they cut. So it keeps them from getting cut while they're cutting. So the, I'm going to look into those. I, have, I don't have experience with them. I literally was just this week I overheard somebody talking about those for kids. But what I do really like, my kids like to use our kitchen scissors. So mm-hmm. shears, so that's fun for them. So I think just finding a way that they want to participate, mm-hmm. that's not going to cause a mess <laughs> because that's where we have
0: to clean it up. You know, it seems like. <laughs> no, um, they can or, learn to do that too.
2: <laughs> yeah, or if they're helping you in the kitchen and a mess is made up, you know, you clean together, that's all part of it. Right. And um, yeah. that gets them moving too. And, and and I also talk to my kids about work, you know, like things take work. And, mm-hmm. and this is my job as a mom to teach you how to, be able to do this for yourself someday. So by helping us, it helps. It'll help you in the end too, not just our family now. Yeah. So yeah. So I would say starting point is to find out what would energize your kids to help Yeah. You, whether it's the food they're going to make or a task that they, that appeals to them.
0: Awesome. So I think you were going to talk a little bit yeah. about Food blogging, yeah, is So too, here's the so. here's
2: the interesting stuff, <laughs> yeah. I think, um, because, like I said, it was a whole new world for me. So, so it all a lot of it has comes down to Google. Okay, so as a dietitian, you'd think it'd be easy to start a food blog and get traction. And of course, people are going to want to know what you have to say and all of that. I thought that. I thought, oh, I'm a dietitian. I'm starting a food blog. Everybody's going to want to know what I have to say. But then it never it really didn't dawn on me that I mean, how are they going to find? out who I am, how are they going to find my website and all of that. So there's a whole technical perspective that I'm learning about, that I have learned about and still learning more about. Um, (laughs) And the good news is as far as Google searching goes, you know, we laugh, you know, about, oh, let's Google this or that. But really the brains behind Google really do want to meet your needs as a user. So when you're searching for something, they want to make sure they're providing you with what you're looking for and the best of what you're looking for. And so how they do that, there's a few cues that they have, you know, ratings are big, comments are gaining in popularity as far as what they use for weighing important or value, I guess you could say of a blog. Hmm. Um, as well So as rating
0: the, when you say uh, just, just to back up to the rating mm-hmm. when you say ratings you're talking about ratings of your blog of the, then. sorry
2: of the recipe yes of the so recipe of, of okay the recipe so five stars mm-hmm. speaks volumes to google gotcha. um, comment five stars with a comment speaks even more gotcha because now with most blogs you can rate them without putting a comment and the reason why people don't want to put a comment oftentimes is because it asks for your name and your email yeah And that's really, it doesn't go anywhere other, it just helps prevent spam, just so people know that. It's just to prevent spam. So, like, I don't, you could put your name as something that it's not, and I wouldn't know, Um, and nor would any of the readers. They would just Mm -hmm. see what you chose to put there. But most people don't want to do that or take the time for that. So, star ratings do matter, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: but comments hold a little bit more weight from what I'm learning. And I have to say, Google doesn't tell even the gurus in the industry what, they're exactly using as, as ranking factors. It's more right. over time. They'll, they'll, they will they'll definitely put out um, articles and and what they're looking for, but not the specifics. And it um,
0: changes, I feel like. I've been in the game change. for a little while, so like I know it changes. Everything else in the world, it changes yeah.
2: Yeah, all the time. <laughs> and the other thing uh, that matters is... Um, click-through rate, so if you come to my website and you click to another site, that tells Google a message, and also how long you stay on my site. All Mm -hmm. those things give them a clue that, oh, maybe I should show this to more people, but regardless of what the recipe, what site the recipe is from, Google prioritizes sites that use terms that people are actually using, like in the search box, so it's funny when I'm typing recipes, because I have to put my mind in the mind of a user as they're using a Google search box, you know, not right. maybe not even what they're thinking in the kitchen or as they're talking to their families about what they want for dinner. I'm thinking, okay, so what are they putting in that search box? And those are called keyword research. Key, yeah, key, keywords. There we go. Keyword. Keywords. <laughs> and so there are tools that help us, um, try to figure out what those are, because if I name a recipe, I could have the most incredible recipe, like the best, everybody agrees that I've ever met, but if I don't use words in the title that people are searching for, typing in the search box, nobody's Mm -hmm. ever going to find it. Yeah. So... Um, And But the other angle there is there's so much competition. Like you use the example with banana bread. I mean, think of how many people have banana bread recipes. And a lot of the top pages will be big bloggers, either ones that um, are corporate, you know, or Mm -hmm. that have been around a long time. Those are going to dominate. And so newer bloggers like myself, smaller bloggers, I need to learn how to title my recipe and write my recipe so that in a way that uses terms that people are searching for, but not use terms that are competitive, have a high competition level, if that makes sense. So that's where it gets a little bit tricky. And as a dietitian, a lot of words that people are searching for, I think because it's quick, are terms that I am trying to avoid using, like healthy. Right. Okay, what does that mean? Like, um, but a lot of people use it in search. So it's really right. healthy
0: banana bread. Healthy. Right.
2: I yeah. Know. I put healthy in everything. And so <laughs> I was, I'm trying to update things to get to remove that word because it can lead to confusion, which goes totally against the goal of mine on lessening, lessening confusion for families.
0: Yeah. I think for dietitians we're a lot of us dietitians who work with people and see, uh, so often there's this good and bad associated with food. And as a dietitian, I've always tried to fight that and not put that label on food. And so when we put that healthy label on on food or or the way we talk about the way somebody eats, it's, uh, I think, leading to some the increase we're seeing in disordered eating.
2: Absolutely. And same, so is uh, the nutrition information being on a label. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. when I first started, I did not include it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though it's a ranking factor, because it's considered an incomplete post if you don't include it. Yeah. But then I realized there are people who do need that information, you know, whether it's um, right. an athlete looking at protein intake or somebody with diabetes needing carbohydrate intake, you know, content. Although that is, that's been a whole interesting thing too, because as we know, it depends on what products you use, Mm
0: -hmm. but I
2: was able to find, so I, I inquired and I found somebody who was a tech person um, who was able to make it so that people had to click on nutrition information in order for it to populate. So it doesn't, it's not in your face there. So at least Mm -hmm. it's available to people, but it's not there automatically.
0: Because you're right. So
2: healthy, there's trigger words, there's trigger things for people. And I I didn't want to you know, contribute to that, but it's tricky because yeah. my site gonna be found? Right. It, yes. so it's it's um yeah, it's an interesting challenge there. Yeah. Um
0: for a and like you
2: said you don't want to see food good, bad, you know, and the other thing is things like a muffin, right? Like my kids love muffins. You know, mm-hmm. I go out for coffee, they want a muffin, which is typically, you know, white flour, sugar. Easy to make. Yeah. Um and inexpensive ingredients. And so I'm like, okay, you like muffins? I will make a muffin. <laughs> <That's> higher <laughs> in, you know, fiber and have fruits or veggies, but there is going to be sugar in it, but there's, mm-hmm. but think about what else is in there, right. you know, kind of a thing. But how do you get that information to the public? Because most people don't read your whole post word for word. Yeah. So I could have... All the tips that are so helpful in there to help clarify all this information. But if people aren't reading it and they're just jumping to the recipe, which I totally understand. That's right. Way. <laughs> I do it too. Yeah. Um, but it just makes it hard because then I feel I get I get caught in that struggle, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't want to add to the confusion. That's not my that goes against my goal. Mm hmm. And and also, like I said, with the healthy, it's not just a trigger word, but it's confusing because, like, I've had a few clients ask me, you know, well, when we're who, specifically who need a low fiber diet, and they say, you know, well, wait, you're telling me I should avoid all of these foods for right now, but they're all healthy, I thought, you know, and I'm like, well, not for you, they're not right now, you know, they're can actually cause more harm than do good right now. So, so yeah, and, and I'll still catch myself using it, but I'm really right. trying to get to get out of that.
0: Yeah, so like you said, like healthy kind of means different things to different people, and exactly. and the things that might be health healthy for somebody, I I did the same thing. I had a client this week, and I was counseling them on low residue, low fiber. It's like everything opposite of what I normally talk to all my other clients about. And right. but there's that that's the instance, and that's the situation that that person is in,
2: right. Right. And there's, and that's totally valid. You know, you yeah. need that. And so here's an example of where, as far as what to label my recipe, things like that. So say I, I have a blueberry pancake recipe on my site. I do. So I have changed the name a couple times trying to figure out what I could call it. You know, if I just call it blueberry pancakes or even easy blueberry pancakes, kind of like banana bread there, there's no way I'm going to rank for that.
0: Mm-hmm. And you have to if rank I, on the first page. Uh, yes, like, that's right. what you're you trying to, to do is to rank. Yeah, because yeah.
2: after that, you're going to get very no one, few yeah. clicks at all, yeah. if any. <laughs> right, exactly. Thank you for clarifying that. Sure. Yeah. And so, I, so I'm so i not going to choose that. And then it's like, okay, well, what do I choose? Because if I say, oh, okay, I do a search tool and I can call it easy, healthy, whole grain, blueberry pancakes. Well, that would have a better chance of ranking but is anybody using all of those search terms at one time or is that what they're is that what they're typing into the search box right. probably not Um, And if they are, it's only maybe five people or so.
0: See, this is Uh, a nightmare to me. This is, this is what, yeah. It
2: does get fun. It gets fun, (laughs) but it does help. So there's recipes. So when I first started, I decided I wasn't even diving into this because I knew I didn't know anything. So I developed like 20, not developed, I was already making them, but posted, I would say 20 recipes that I knew were solid recipes. Mm -hmm. And the post might not have been ideal how I wrote it up, but the recipes were sound. So that when I started posting more recipes, to help that were less competitive at least there was there were other recipes on my site that would appeal to people so i i used that so i knew i wasn't gonna take off with my blog you know mm-hmm. right away or anything and so that's kind of how i navigated that at the beginning um and another example so right now so i have a granola, another granola recipe i want to post and i'm torn on what to call it i will have a very good chance of ranking for it if i call it low map granola mm-hmm. because there is less competition Yeah, most people don't know what that is. And I don't have a IBS website. It's not specific to patients with IBS. Mm -hmm. And I feel like on my side, it might cause people to think, does that mean I should be on a low FODMAP diet? What is that? Right? (laughs) Or it's low FODMAP. I don't I don't do that. So I move on. I'm not making this recipe when really it's a granola recipe. It's just trying to figure out how to bring it to the attention of, of the public. So I'm leaning more towards like maple vanilla granola because people do search those terms. There is more mm-hmm. competition with them, but not as much as some of the other options. And it is made with maple syrup and uh, vanilla extract. So that would be a reasonable right. title. So it's a big challenge, you know, to, to, write it, to write it up and then to use the words also within my post, so that Google understands it's not just the title, it's the whole Mm -hmm. kind of recipe.
0: I have have to uh, ask, because I think I interrupted you. So where did you land with your blueberry pancakes?
2: So I think my most recent title, I think they're whole grain. I think it's a whole wheat. I think it's maybe easy whole wheat blueberry pancakes or whole wheat blueberry pancakes. It was healthy. At first, they were like easy Mm -hmm. healthy that we had. the word healthy. But I decided to take that one out. And I'm pretty sure it's whole wheat blueberry pancakes that's a good question <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's <laughs> sorry yeah and then so the one one recipe on my website that i still am like oh why do i do i keep it do i not is um gluten-free taco seasoning
1: mm-hmm. so yeah.
2: the reason why i included that is because there's so much competition with taco seasoning and less competition for gluten-free taco seasoning mm-hmm. now there are seasonings that have gluten-containing products in them that you can buy but most of them don't have mm-hmm. it you know, uh, like I would use this taco seasoning anyways, even if it wasn't gluten free. I mean, I, this is what I use. It has tahini in it and some other spices. Um, and I linked to tahini's website so that anybody with celiac disease could read the descriptions. But for people who don't need gluten free, I feel like they're not going to click on that. Right. You know, website. <laughs> I mean, that, that recipe. They're not going to be
0: searching that way. Right. Yes. Not be
2: searching that. So that's kind of.
0: That's yeah, unfortunate. Interesting, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I don't. Over time, I might change the recipe. Like once I have more authority in Google's mm-hmm. eyes, I might end up changing it. But, but when I had developed it, I wanted to post it. Any other option I could think of, it was there was no way I was ever going to
1: rank for it. Right. So just a um, heads up to everyone: the web, the um, recipe for the blueberry camp pancakes is the best whole wheat pancake okay. Blueberries,
0: I love it. I Very like cool. that. That's okay. nice. <laughs> thank,
2: thank you. Thank you. I couldn't obviously. I could not remember what I had called it. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So, so that's a that's like that's a struggle. But the recipe is the same. So even if I change the title, I'm not changing the recipe. And the same thing goes. So gluten free is an example. You'll see recipes with keto, and and the tricky part is just so for the for the listeners to understand is these terms were initially developed because there is a medical need for some of these for some patients. You know, celiac disease. You need a gluten free diet, very strict gluten free diet. Mm-hmm. There are patients for seizure control who are on a strict ketogenic diet. So, um, Mm -hmm. it's just that these terms are often then not just terms, but the diets are taken in other avenues and advertised in different ways. And that's where a lot of the confusion comes up. Yeah. I think for people. Yeah. And so again, back to the oats and the, and the gluten-free thing, you know, I had a friend ask me, why would a recipe call for gluten-free oats if I can use regular oats? And I said, well, that's a very good question because that's one of my pet peeves. But I said, if they're calling it a gluten-free recipe, mm-hmm. then they need to be consistent throughout the entire recipe. And either they're not educated, they don't know the difference in the two. And so they, they feel like everybody who makes this recipe does have to buy gluten, you know, certified gluten-free oats, mm-hmm. or they're just trying to be as consistent with the title as they can um, and I would hope a lot of them clarify within the post, which not all do, that if you don't, if you're not on a strict gluten-free diet, you can use traditional oats. They're naturally gluten-free. But even if, like I said, I include that in my post, most people aren't going to read it. More recently, I what I've been choosing to do in my more recent post is add a section that um, has a header called dietitian tip. Mm. And then I highlight the words underneath that. And it's just one small section, and I pick kind of one tip or two per recipe because I feel like that'll draw their attention to it at least. So that's where I would choose a um,
1: to mention something like that about the oats within a recipe. Yeah, I'm actually looking at those dietitian tips now. Fantastic, simple bullet point explanation, not too lengthy. It's great. It Thank looks you. good. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things I think. I wish my patients would know when they're trying to find a recipe or looking for a recipe is if, if something comes up that. Well, I mean, when they're searching, it can be overwhelming if they've done a very basic search. Right. So yeah. uh, when you're looking at recipes and it's calling for coconut flour and these types of things to know you can make changes to that and you don't have right. to buy coconut flour. You can use probably a regular flour.
1: Right. I was going to ask about that. That's something that, you know, sometimes people will say, well, I don't have that particular oil or I don't like that particular oil. Right. Or like you said, coconut flour, I don't have access to that. When people see those types of issues in or somebody's recipe, you know, is it, is it on the food blogger to kind of anticipate there might be questions like that or is it something where you know maybe a reader can contact you and say you know could you make this substitution when you you know again if somebody's for example you know wanting to use olive rather than canola oil in the recipe you know what kind of things can they expect to happen to that recipe
2: Yeah. So, um, we do, we are, it is recommended that we anticipate, um, challenges that people have. This is a good reminder though, because often when I reference olive oil, I think lately I've been forgetting to mention, you can really use any oil. The difference is if you're going to cook high heat, I would not recommend olive oil. So I will mention those, you know, that particular like uh, avocado or other high heat oil kind of a thing and give examples. Um, with that, there is like a with a lot. It's recommended to have like a fact, like a, a frequently asked questions section at the bottom, but not more than like three to five Q A's in there. Um, mm-hmm. But you absolutely can contact the author. You can even comment, like this looks amazing. I was curious if I could substitute this, and then we'll get notified. Somebody commented right away through email to respond there publicly because then that'll help other people. Um, Flower is where it gets a little tricky. So you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Whole wheat flour, white. I love baking with white whole wheat flour, all-purpose flour. Flour, a lot of those can be pretty easily interchangeable. Oat flour, you can exchange it to some degree, but not 100. percent Typically, in some baking products, it could ruin the texture. And hmm. same with coconut and almond, you can you can play around without around with it somewhat. But in some recipes, if you do one to one substitutions, it's going to change gonna change the recipe, so it doesn't mean you can't do it. But I would just say, don't rate my recipe. (laughs) Um, You know, if you make it with a different flour and it flops, then right? You know what I mean? That's that.
0: That's important. I have
2: no problem with that. Just don't rate my recipe (laughs) poorly because it didn't work out because of your substitution.
0: Right. Yeah. So
2: that's the the only tricky part is to cover every single possibility that somebody might try to substitute. Is
0: it's hard. It would
2: make the post too long for readers. Yeah. And so I try to anticipate, but I'm definitely, I tell everybody who reads, it, I'm open to feedback with grammar, with easy tips that I could add to it. It's very mm-hmm. easy for me to update a recipe. I have no problem doing that at all. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you should be able to contact the author of the recipe. I know if you're looking at my site and you have a question, absolutely, my email is on my contact page. It's pretty simple to find me. So that's a really good question as far as substitutions go because so basic- most oils are.
0: Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, so basically what you're saying is actually if somebody could comment on the recipe and ask those questions, like if you see that you need to substitute something, that actually only helps the blogger rank better. So go <laughs> yeah, ahead and right. ask your questions. Thank it well. It sounds <laughs> right. great. And
2: then ask the question. You'll see that in some other um post, I've seen it happen. And then they update it. And then either they'll answer it there and feel like that's enough. Or like I said, it's really easy to go in and and fix a sentence or two or add a tip. If you feel like it's going to be a commonly asked question, I would hope that bloggers would do that. Right. Absolutely.
0: Well, that's Uh, super cool. I think that's really interesting uh, use of a dietitian for recipe development and blogging and everything like that. I love Thank it. Thank you. Yeah, it's it.
2: been really fun. It's a whole new world for me, but it's really I really am enjoying it.
0: <laughs>
1: um, one thing that I do when I'm searching for anything nutrition related yeah. online is I'll tack the word dietitian on to the end of my search term. Yeah. That's great. Does that help get people more to dietitian authored food blogs and websites? Is that something that we can recommend to readers? You know, if I'm putting in banana bread, you know, dietitian. Thanks. It
2: should. I would think it should. It should because it should. I mean, I don't on each of my pages. So my homepage says it, and then there's a little part that's on the sidebar of each of my pages that has the word dietitian. It should. I mean, if you just search dietitian recipe, you might get more of like, what's the difference between a dietitian and a an nutritionist, things like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
2: but I would definitely hope so. I should try that out and see and see that. But I'm pretty confident you would land on dietitian recipes. I would yeah, think so.
1: Right, and I do, I recommend that. Like, you know, somebody's looking at cardiac diet or, you know, diverticulitis diet. I always yeah. have them tack on dieticians in mm-hmm. the end. That's great. And I know,
0: just, yeah. Something that looks
1: reasonable. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And I know the other trick is in terms of keywords, like, you know, spelling it wrong. So spell dietitian with a C instead of a T because, you know, right. somebody might be... St- Adding dietitian at the end of their search, but they might not realize that us dietitians prefer T-I-A-N instead of C-I-A-N. That's a really good
2: point. I think I've learned that Google's getting a little bit better with that, with um, misspelling, because it's, you know, when we're typing, doing all this typing, it's pretty common to misspell things. So I've heard they're getting better with that. So I would hope, I hope it includes the word dietitian too. But the one thing I did, I was reminded of actually just earlier today, um, is that people are not jumping to your about me page usually. And sometimes they're not taking the time to even read the the sidebar. So that's where, again, my dietitian tip area, I'm glad it's there because it reminds people I'm a dietitian. So I feel I've only done that in about maybe seven recipes so far. So mm-hmm. moving forward, I'm going to do that. I needed to re- go back and add it. So I, I hope then it would show up more in the search results like you're talking about
0: mm-hmm. yeah love that I love that tip tip that worked really well you can find some dietitian recipes that way or whatever yeah that was a great oh. idea All well right. thank you
1: for sharing your information tonight you're I, welcome. I have learned a ton and I really feel like this is an area where dietitians are still a little late to the party in terms of blogging Yes. Um, and I am excited to talk to dietitians like you who are trying to fill that space a little bit. As I always say, when people, you know, even just go to a bookstore and try to pick out a book about nutrition or diet, you know, 95% of them are not written by registered dietitians and frame my heart. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Same. Right. And so yeah. it's really great to have dietitians like you trying to. You know,
0: get into those space,
1: you know, fill that need, which yeah. it, it's there because right now there's so much stuff. You, you mentioned keto a while back, which just, you know, always, <laughs> has back yeah. you know, there's so many recipes out there. Now I'm seeing the words dirty keto and all of this kind of stuff. Yeah makes me cringe
2: it makes me cringe too and i want to. but i've also met families whose child has to be on a strict ketogenic diet right. first and it's very successful so right. i want to be like guys that's not what this is for you right. know right. i mean yes medical not for what you're on this for right. so yeah no i totally agree and the, the one good thing from a dietitian perspective is there are i've learned that there are reporters out there looking for quotes and you know input for their articles and it's re- almost always required that you're a registered dietitian now okay. um in order to respond, which I, that's a plus at least. And then depending on which, which reporter it is, they might link to your site, which then would help people find, you know, be at a dietitian's website. So
0: mm-hmm.
2: that's a plus at least.
1: Yeah. So share again with our listeners, your website. Are you on social media as
2: well? I am. Yeah. So my website is carrotsandcookies.com. I'm on Instagram at carrots.and.cookies. And then Facebook is carrots and the and sign and then cookies. And you can get my email through those um, or DM me through those links as well.
1: And if you don't have a pencil with you right now, that's completely fine. We will put those links in the show notes. Yes. And you can certainly just click, click, click and <laughs> Check give her out. some traffic to her website. <laughs> and uh, I've been sort of browsing it as we've been talking I'm like, Ooh, that looks good. <laughs> that
0: looks oh, good. Dangerous <laughs> with <laughs> your cooking, yeah, uh,
1: because <laughs> I'm, like, oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm still <laughs> a little hungry. So yeah, everything looks just, you, y'all have to visit. It looks tremendous and I can see the kid friendly approach and I'm now waiting for your maple and vanilla granola <laughs> or whatever
2: I decided to call it. <laughs> with that, I'm
1: yeah. really great. Thanks Christy. Thanks. Thanks Christy for being with us. If you have questions for Christy, you can again get in contact with her directly, or you can send them to us and we'll forward them on to her. You can reach us at dish at secretliferd.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the secret life dietitians, and we will see you next time, wherever you get your podcasts.